I read your book like the minute I got it. Oh, did you finish it? I did. How'd you like it? I loved it. Good. I loved it. I really liked the ending, especially just the whole apocalyptic warning. Welcome to Seemingly Ordinary. I am back with Reed Wilkinson. Reed has been on on the podcast several times. I just absolutely love speaking with him. He is a 21-year-old law student. I wish that I would have been this bright when I was 21 years old. I I just find you extraordinary in many ways, Reed. I really do. Um, So just a little bit more about Reed. Once he got hooked on good books, he really became one of the most admirable readers that I know. He just did deep dives into history, psychology, philosophy, theology, law. And when he got into history, it wasn't just like the history of the United States. He got into the history of other countries, kind of in a deep way, including Nazi Germany and the Soviet Union, especially under Stalin. Well, since becoming a law school person, um, he actually has written a short book, It's a little bit more than 100 pages. It's called Don't Tread on Me, and it's available on Amazon. I read it. I I deeply enjoyed it. I really can't wait to talk about it. It's vivid. It's clear. And Reed, you're a great storyteller. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. You seriously are. Mm. And so, you know, I think, hey, like some people would think, book on the First Amendment, I don't really want to read that. Well, you should just because the stories are just so vivid and interesting. You could just read it just for the stories and enjoy it. So the book focused on four major American rights, and it ends with an apocalyptic warning. So that's kind of my very long intro. Reed, how's life? It's been good. Yeah. I'm uh, getting ready to apply to law school in the fall, and I'll hear back probably by the end of the year about where I'm going to be able to go. And it's kind of nerve-wracking, but you know, this book's kind of kept me preoccupied, which is nice. So yeah. don't have to worry about that too much. So yeah. it's been good. Well, I've heard uh, one psychologist say that it's really best in life not to ruminate. And you know, what was so interesting was this guy is the deepest thinker that I've ever heard of or listened to. And he said, hey, don't ruminate. So apparently there's a difference between thinking and ruminating. And uh, and just a good thing to do is just to take action, like mm-hmm. make your applications and then kind of get on with the next important project in your life is anyway i just thought i would divert into that yeah i've been trying to get all my like personal statements letters of rec all that stuff together like so that as soon as because it opens october 1st as soon as that hits i'm just hit the ground running hopefully that would be awesome yeah it's not hanging over your head or anything like that yeah because i know a lot of people who are in law school right now a bunch of my friends um have they waited till the last second to do all that stuff and it yeah. was just like a six week period of hell for them so oh, I bet. trying to avoid that I bet that sounds good to avoid yeah six mm-hmm. weeks of hell that six weeks yeah if you ever want to make six weeks feel like six months that would be the way to do it yeah exactly so okay well let's get into your book um, what is your book all about I mean from your words I did an introduction but I think it'd be better coming from you yeah so um, me and my girlfriend were driving back from Nashville, Tennessee, last summer in August, and we put on this podcast that was called The Cold Case Files. Okay. And uh, pretty much it talks about, you know, murder cases that went cold or, 
you know, had a you know drastic turn to them. And we found this one of the, it was called the story of Michael Crow. And we listened to it. And, and the premise of the story was that he had been accused of murdering his sister who was two years younger than him um, because apparently no one in his house could have done it. There's more in the book, more details. Um, and he was essentially, you know, framed for it. And they pushed this narrative that was him to like curve the public's, you know, uh, excuse me for thinking, I guess, out loud, but no, that's uh, okay. the, the public's like scarcity of the situation. They didn't know what was going to happen. Okay. And they, um, you know, took him and they tried him as an adult and they, they tried to put him through the process. They interrogated him. They didn't give him his rights. And I remember finishing that and I looked over at my girlfriend and I said, oh my gosh, like this just makes me so irritated that like he's a 14 year old kid and, you know, obviously he doesn't know because he hasn't been educated on that, but I know other people personally who have had instances where they have had their rights not taken away from them, but they were put into situations because they didn't properly assert their rights. Mm. And so I started to write an essay um, for a class that I was taking about civil rights where I said, oh, it's important to have civil rights. And I, I was thinking and I was like, well, just like Michael Crow, I think it's not just important to know about your civil rights, but it's also important to know about you know, what you can and can't do in the legal system, you know, what you can and can't do for freedom of speech, religion, press assembly, why we have the rights to do those things. And I remember trying to look for books on Amazon, on Barnes and Noble, on, I even went to half price books and searched everything I could to find a book that was just, here's, here's the amendment. Here's what it says. Here's what you can't do. Here's an example of it. I, Mm. I could not find a single book. And I remember having a conversation with my girlfriend and she's like, why don't you, just use that essay and maybe write about it a little bit. And I was just like, well, it's not a bad idea. So then came to the conclusion. I was like, I need to write this book. So I've been working on it really since last September. So about nine months. Um, and I just finished it about three weeks ago, published it about two weeks ago. And so far I've sold only about 50 copies, but, um, excuse me. Um, I've had a lot of really good feedback lately. Like you've, you've given me some feedback already as well. And I, yeah, Everybody's been telling me that, you know, there's a lot of things that they didn't know were so recent. Like there's in in one of the chapters, it was about, um, you know, someone was getting uh, their monetary funds taken away from them because they were of a religious, you know, sect of Christianity. And it's like, you can't do that. I'm going on and on about it. It's a very interesting book. I'm, I'm very glad I finally was able to write something and express my you know, opinion about the subject. Yeah. Well, I mean, just that opening case of this 14-year-old obviously not knowing what his rights are, Mm -hmm. uh, what ultimately happened with him? So there were two other young men who were, one was his age, one was a year older. Um, One of them, they said, was directly involved in the murder. Another one, they said, was not involved with the murder, but was involved with the planning, so they charged him with conspiracy to commit murder. Okay. And literally, like, a week before... Their trial was set to begin the next January. Um, they found um, they did DNA tests on a shirt of a man named Richard Tweet, okay. and they found the blood of Stephanie Crow on the jacket. And they concluded that through the unlocked garage door on the same floor as Stephanie's bedroom, that he had broken in, stabbed her, killed her, and walked out because he was a diagnosed schizophrenic and was oh. actually interrogated the same night that the police. Uh, you know, arrested Michael and found Stephanie dead in her bed, um, but they let him go. They didn't do anything about it because they wanted to curve the public's, uh, you know, 
scared feeling and get rid of that ultimately, which, again, this is why I say... They just wanted to, like, solve the case as soon as they possibly could and tell the public that everything's fine, everything's under control. Mm-hmm. And so um, why let the, uh, the what was his name, Michael? The, Crow. Michael Crow. Why mm-hmm. let Michael Crow, the schizophrenic gentleman? Oh, I'm sorry. Richard Tweet was the schizophrenic. Yes, why, did they, why did they let Richard go? You know, I, I looked everywhere on the Internet I could for that, and okay. I couldn't find a reason. They just, in the interrogation, film is not available they just let him go. He was, oh. you know, diagnosed schizophrenic. He was well known in the community for looking through windows, knocking on doors. Oh my gosh! And they didn't even consider him. And Jeez! And instead, they just nailed this fourteen-year-old kid. Yeah, it was very. I mean, I, I don't know what Michael is doing nowadays. <laughs> I hope he's doing well. But I mean, he was. They they dismissed the charges without prejudice, um, which means they they could have brought the charges back against him. But okay, they, there's likely they're not going to, which okay. they didn't. Um, they they kept the door open. They kept it open, but ultimately, yeah, with that piece of evidence, there's no way they would have gotten a conviction, even if they okay. wanted to. So let's kind of get into the first right that you discussed, um, which was the freedom of speech. I don't quite remember the order. Yeah, it was kind of just the First Amendment. Okay. just kind of was okay. the full first chapter, but yeah, yeah freedom okay. of speech was the let's, first. Let's hop into that. Yeah, so I, I talked about... You know, each with with each one, I tried to have the same structure um, throughout okay. the entire book. Is that here's what the Constitution says, here's what um, the interpretations are, here's how it's been applied in Supreme Court cases, here's what you can and cannot do with that right. Um, and so, for freedom of speech, it was the same thing. It was okay. Um, you know, you have you have the right to say whatever you want with some limitations. Um, you know, like you can't yell fire in a crowded theater, you can't cause disturbances, you can't threaten people. That's assault. Um, and then I went into the Supreme Court cases in 19, I think it was 18 and 1919 with Woodrow Wilson, the sedition okay. and espionage acts. Oh, yeah, yeah. Where, That's really important for people to know about that. Mm-hmm. But you have a president who during wartime was literally silencing dissenters from accusing the war effort. Right. Which it came with, what, a $10,000 fine to mm-hmm. criticize the war effort, mm-hmm. which is ridiculous, and then translated into modern dollars. I think you've got to multiply that number by somewhere between 20 and 30. So, I yeah. mean, that is a two hundred dollars to $300,000 fine plus jail time for basically criticizing the president for conducting a war. Which is like... The exact reason why the First <laughs> Amendment was written in the first place. Yeah, was, I just uh, the other twenty-five reasons the freedom of speech is good. Hey, that's that's wonderful, but the most important thing is being able to criticize war and peace. Mm-hmm. You know, should we have war right now? You know, and, and there's another part of that. You're right, one hundred percent. There's another part of that that I talk about where it's like um, about not just being able to criticize your government, but I went into the history of like why you know. The colonists before America was America, um, they were able not able to criticize that, and then also the idea of hate speech and how okay. hate speech has become such a prominent like argument in our society where it's like, well, at, at what, where do you draw the dividing line between hate speech and just disagreeing? Yeah, and it's there, there's I was telling Tim before the podcast began there's an amazing book which I believe is the most important book of the 21st century called okay. The Rising Triumph of the Modern Self by Carl Truman. And it talks about identity and how people have changed the way that we've – we have changed the way that we've looked at ourselves inwardly within the past 50 years alone. I I would personally say more like 20 years. Okay. Um, And when you start to disagree with people because 
we now have no way of exemplifying our identity in, in physical acts like people have done in the past with religion and politics and economics. People take that as a direct attack on themselves. And so if I look at you and I say, I disagree with you on fiscal economic policy, you look at me and call me a Nazi because you disagree with me because sure. that's exactly the person that you are. And I, I talked about that a lot where it's like, you know, hate speech is defined as blah, 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 blah. But where, again, where do you draw the line? You have to draw the line at somewhere between hate speech and, you know, disagreeing with people. And I think everybody, and I would hope everybody, can say that, you know, racial slurs and sexual slurs and assault is, that's the dividing line is you're not allowed to say things like that. Mm -hmm. Obviously, no one agrees you should be able to say things like that. Um, but I did say that, you know, disagreeing with people and people saying things like that, they have a right to say it. And we've talked about this before, yeah. I, I believe, on the yeah, podcast. Yeah, we, we did. Or it's it's like, you know, even if you don't agree with what the person is saying or what they believe, they do have the right to say that. And I think that's honestly the, the biggest hallmark of a healthy democracy and a healthy republic. Is do we have freedom of speech? Yeah, being able to criticize not just the government, but just other people and allowing freedom of thought to occur. It's like Thomas Jefferson is a big proponent of freedom of speech. He's like, we can't learn from each other and we can't grow intellectually as a society or a country without being able to have open dialogue between one another in different parties. He's so ridiculously quotable. I just want to divert for like 30 seconds into Thomas Jefferson. Just one of my favorite quotes is, I have sworn eternal hostility upon the altar of God against every form of tyranny against the mind of man. Hmm. I just love that. It's like, mm. hey, I'm Thomas Jefferson. I am a thousand percent opposed to any form of tyranny over your mind. I, I mean, I just love that. Yeah, I, that's a beautiful quote. They, I mean, he lived through that. <laughs> he lived and through Second it. president of the United States, he yeah. lived through that. Yeah. And it, it's crazy just seeing how, how radically different our country is. Obviously, hundreds of years have gone by since then. But just in that short period of 200 250 years, we have changed so differently to where we have elected politicians and presidents who are saying, like, yeah, you're not allowed to say that. You're right. not allowed to criticize me. Right. And to me, that's a sign of extreme I think decline. Incredible weakness, I think. You know, if, if you can't take any sort of criticism when you're in a public position like that, that's just atrocious. I agree 100%. So, so I was at a Bill of Rights Institute conference for about three days, and it centered mostly on the First Amendment. And it was very interesting. They wound up discussing multiple cases. And uh, of course, the cases are all super interesting, because otherwise, they wouldn't make it to the Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. And uh, kind of the one of the big takeaways I, I picked up from this is, freedom of speech is guaranteed by the Constitution, the cutoff point is usually whenever somebody is advocating violence. Mm. You know, like, for example, there was a case where this guy was outside of a factory worker factory, and he was saying, hey, we workers, we should unite, and, and we should have lower wa higher wages, and we should have less hours, and we should have more benefits, and the boss ought to be nicer to us. Mm -hmm. and, and so all of this is so far so good. Mm -hmm. Then I think he said, we should pick up rocks and bottles and throw them at the manager's <laughs> yeah. head. Okay, that's where freedom of speech actually is not constitutionally protected. I'm pretty sure that'd at be that assault. Point. Yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so, I mean, yeah, the minute violence comes into play, mm -hmm. it's no longer freedom of speech, mm -hmm. essentially. That's kind of where I understood the cutoff point to be. I mean, you, you can say the most nasty, 
vile things about another person. Mm-hmm. You can, as far as I can understand, you're going to have to correct me. You're, you're taking the classes. But I think you can accuse public figures of crimes. You can use uh, these horrible racial slurs, which I don't think anybody should use mm-hmm. on a on kind of a moral level. I don't think they should use these. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you can say the most uncomfortable things imaginable. Mm-hmm. The minute it crosses over into violence, that's where it's it's forbidden. It's not constitutional anymore. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? To my understanding, yeah, that's this? that's correct. I mean, it's that kind of leans into you know the whole Johnny Depp case going on okay. or that just finished. I. I I wish I would have published it just a little bit after that. Yeah. I published it right before the verdict came out. But the same that's a perfect example of how defamation of character works with the First Amendment and Amber Heard. You know, she was saying she has a First Amendment right to say whatever she wants, but it's like the idea behind defamation of character is that you only have freedom of speech is if what you are saying is true. Mm. You can't it's it specifically in a def I'm not a lawyer. I just want to put that out there. Yeah. This is just my own research. Yeah. My you will own, be a lawyer. Hopefully, sure. yeah. yeah. I I'm planning on it. I got a few years to go. But right. um yeah, it's you can't uh it, you know, if you leave a review for a restaurant and you are, you know, hyper hyperbolic in your thing and, and say that, oh, they came up and slapped me in the face and they called me a, a name, if it's not true and it's hurting their business, they can sue you for a defamation oh, okay. of character okay. and, and uh, uh libel. Okay. okay. I believe. That's just my research. Okay. Um, and so the whole Johnny Depp thing is a perfect example of what, you know, that's another thing you can't do is that's another line is causing somebody to lose, you know, because she, when she sued, or not sued him, when she published an op-ed, do you know the story actually? Um, a little bit with Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. I think you should probably remind people, uh, they were married for quite some time. He's a famous movie actor. Mm-hmm. But, I, but I feel like you should just hit the basics of the story because there are any number of people who do their best to avoid mm-hmm. these type of stories, but I think that it's going to be good for us to discuss this just because it's going to put things in context for people. Yeah, that's why I kind of like took a step back. I was like, maybe I should. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So just so, give us a brief overview. Some people are going to be exquisitely familiar with it, but other people, not so much. So she and him, Amber Heard and Johnny Depp, were married until about 2016 when they divorced um, in 2018, I believe. Okay. Um, but in 2016, she very publicly, to make sure that certain magazine articles um, knew what she was doing, filed a restraining order against Johnny Depp. Okay. Um, a few years later in 2018, she wrote an op-ed for the Washington Post, I believe, that she was a victim of sexual and physical abuse. Hmm. And she didn't directly mention his name, which was her entire defense case. Okay. But Johnny Depp's team said that it couldn't have been anybody else. Okay. If she was making it very public that she was, in 2016, alleging abuse to get a restraining order against Johnny Depp in sexual and physical forms, how could it not be him in the op-ed? Okay. And then later on the stand when she was questioned, she actually did admit to writing the op-ed about Johnny Depp, and it was barely, it was like two seconds, barely caught it. Um, she lost, she owes him a couple millions of dollars, I don't know. Oh, wow. But you ended up finding out through the... Um, through the case that she was lying about everything that she was saying. And it was actually her that was physically abusing him and emotionally manipulating him. And she, I think, threw a bottle at him at one point and severed his finger off. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And did they was, reattach it? I think they did. And he's Jeez. he's a guitar player for a band. And he, you know, he is able to play still, thank God. But, you know, it, the whole situation is just terrible because they're, they're both not perfect. You know, he admitted right. to drug use and she admitted to drug use and alcohol abuse and everything. But in the end... You know, she 
lied about everything she said, in my okay. opinion. Just That's- trashed him in the worst possible terms that she could imagine, essentially. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Okay, so First Amendment-wise, mm-hmm. just so that people, I guess, understand what it is and then what it isn't, uh, how would we sum this up? That we do have the right to say whatever we want to say. The First Amendment was specifically created so that people could have freedom of political speech. Uh, that's the number one thing. But then the spillover is going to include things like freedom of religious speech, economic speech, um, artistic speech, uh, et cetera, the right to praise other people, the right to criticize other people. Uh, this might include a whole bunch of nasty things that we wish people wouldn't say out of having some good taste, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, and, and that could include like horrible slurs that, that just nobody really appreciates. All of that's kind of protected, or mm-hmm. it is protected. What's not protected is anything leading to violence mm-hmm. and then anything that's just libel. In other words, it's dishonest. Uh, you know, like, uh, I don't know, we, we accuse somebody of 50 crimes and it turns out they've committed zero crimes, mm-hmm. but we're just trying to destroy this person's reputation. None of that is allowed. Mm-hmm. Did, and then and then pick it up from there, please, and tell me what I'm missing. No, that's you hit pretty much everything on the head. Yeah, it was perfect. I mean, the thing that the biggest thing about defamation of character for me is that, you know, when you say something and it's not true, the person can sue if they're losing monetary value. So that's why Johnny Depp sued is because as soon as that op-ed came out, he got fired from, I think it was Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, the Pirates of the Caribbean series, and then I I believe there was a third movie. I can't remember. Maybe everything. Maybe I, a lot. I mean, he was alleging fifty million dollars of loss. I bet. And so, you know, when you hurt people, hurt people, ironic. But if you are causing people to lose money uh-huh. with what you have said, oh, that, sure. I mean, through my own research, is what I found yeah. is to be defamation of character. Yeah, because you're defaming their image and ruining everything that they've worked for. Does she owe him fifty million dollars now? I think they came to like. 15 or 12 million 15 or 12 million. and then they said he owed her a certain amount i okay didn't really follow that whole thing but does he get his career back you know i don't know i know he just got signed on to play oh, i forget the name of the movie but it was he got he had a role recently okay. Okay. so I'm, I'm hoping that he can okay. continue on that his he life. can work again yeah and i hope that yeah. she can continue on yeah. her life too oh, it's like Ditto. like honestly like just move on yeah like, that's the toxic thing. marriage just a separate issue completely is i would just love to see a lot more forgiveness mm-hmm. in our culture mm-hmm. i i absolutely would um i i just think gosh i don't know jesus says uh you know let the person without sin cast the first stone mm-hmm it's a good attitude as far as I'm concerned a little bit of forgiveness would be awfully nice mm-hmm. um, extend some grace because you personally never know when you are going to need some yourself mm-hmm. um, but okay kind of getting back to the first amendment are there any things uh, anything out there that just is I don't know kind of like really disturbing you these past few years like some of the kibosh because uh, people like putting limits on freedom of speech uh gosh i don't know i just i know enough people who work for businesses and and other endeavors where they just feel like oh i'm not allowed to say that i'm not allowed to say that i have to tread on eggshells um thoughts i think that 
I mean, it's no secret I'm conservative. I'm very conservative when it comes to a lot of different policies. I defend policies. I don't defend people. So when people ask me why I voted a certain way, I say I don't vote for that person's character. I voted for the policies that they are going to enact because it's ultimately going to benefit the most people. And what I've seen lately is that any dissent from the popular opinion is now causing people to be fired. It's causing people to be like socially outcasted. Mm. And it's it's scary to me the road that we're going down. And I wrote this in the book at the very end in, in the conclusion chapter, which is Kansas's motto, Ad Astra Per Aspera, which is to the stars to our difficulties. Because the way that we are moving is directly correlated with how the fall of the Western Roman Empire happened. Okay. And I know that sounds very Bleak. hyperbolic and yeah, it's not it's <laughs> very like, oh, how can you make that comparison? It's like you have to understand that yeah, I've read five or six different books on the topic and I'm not an expert on the topic but I've scoured the literature when it comes to understanding and, and looking at these historical patterns because it's the old saying if you don't right. learn from history you're going to be doomed to repeat it right the Roman Empire had so m- the Western Roman Empire I should say because it fell earlier than the Eastern Empire after they split but so many different parallels are happening right now with the limits of, of speech the limits of what people can do with their religion no Christianity was being actively fought against until uh, Constantinople came in. And it's, to me, you know, obviously I don't think we're going to fall as a nation, but we are seeing right now with Russia and China what they are doing to the weaker Muslims in literal concentration camps with their limits of freedom of speech. They're forcing um, Islamic people to eat pork against Mm. their religion. They're forcing Jewish people to eat non-kosher meat. And they're literally... In my opinion, I think this is worse than the Holocaust because this is a modern-day example of something that's been going on for almost 10 years. Nobody's even caring about it. Yeah. At least with the Holocaust, people wanted to do something about it and stand up and fight against the horrible things that were going on, but there's no one doing anything. Mm. Reasonable estimates say that there's 20 million people today since 2013 that have died. That's a reasonable estimate. And I don't think the United States – I hope we may never get to that point, but – that's always the first thing to go is your First Amendment rights. Okay. And, and so, I mean, First Amendment rights are only in the United States, but the ideas in the First Amendment rights are speech, religion, press, assembly. If you can't have those four pillars, even if you take away one of them, it's, it's, it falls down. And, and it's like Benjamin Franklin said, tyranny is going to be erected in its place. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm kind of no, no, very no. fiery right no, now. No, I, I it's asked. It's a very scary subject. I asked about it. And uh, the Uyghurs are a minority group in China. And I can't remember how many, but something like, is it a million to two million that are in these camps? Currently, yeah. Something like okay. that. Okay. And yeah. this has just been going on for a very, very long time in China. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. These are just, these are camps where people are imprisoned and not allowed to get out and uh, just humongous numbers of them, and it's because they're, I guess, this this religion that the Chinese just don't feel meshes with their culture. Mm-hmm. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's just a very very scary situation. Mm-hmm. Very sc- and yeah, I, I guess my feeling is is that the the First Amendment is first for a reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if it were the seventeenth most important important amendment, it would have come much later. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's first for a reason, and we just absolutely need freedom of speech. And if people feel like they can only say things that are acceptable mm-hmm. because they're majority opinion, I, I'm old enough to just have lived through eras where the United States was more conservative, and other areas were, you know, perhaps other decades that were much more liberal than, say, the previous decade. 
like things have kind of changed. They've gone back and forth. Um, I don't think people would enjoy living in an era where they were of the minority opinion and then they were just absolutely shut down at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm old enough that I was a teenager in the 80s, and you know, kind of the cliche at the time was liberals were the people that you could go to who were going to advocate for free speech. Mm-hmm. That Classical they were liberal. always, always promoting free mm-hmm. speech all the time. And, and uh, you know, to the degree that both parties have something good to offer, I thought, that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I'm just very, very much in favor of free speech. I, I don't see how you can have a society without it. Yeah. Yeah, so, I 100% agree. It's, yeah. it's, it's insane just how in the past 10, 15, 20 years that like that shift is just, you know, flipped over completely. It's done a 180 where it's, you know, you can't have a normal con. This is why I say like I'm conservative and I make no bones about it because there's people who've blocked me on social media, stopped talking to me just because they have this preconceived notion of the person I am. And if they just talk to me or talk to any other conservative, they would know we're not these horrible people. We just have our beliefs and you have your beliefs and let's just agree to disagree and go our separate ways and respect each other for having those opinions and it's it's just it's sad that we can't do that anymore in my opinion i i don't know if it's just yeah we open people up one person at a time i don't know if that's the solution for things or or if we have to do something else i'm i'm just not sure you know i think people have this idea that government is going to solve all their problems. Okay. And it's like, you know, Republicans are like, oh, we just need Trump back in there and we'll, all our problems will go away. And then Democrats are saying, we need Joe Biden in there and all our problems are going to go away. And it's like, no, until we get rid of that notion that government is going to solve all our problems and that all our problems are going to be solved with our inherent, like just looking at what we're doing ourselves, I, I think you're right. I think it is an individual person to person thing because when you put so much, and it's not just the government, people do this with every other kind of group or community. When you put so much power into another entity besides yourself, you're you're taking away your own ability to like think for yourself. Removing your own agency. I, I, I agree, Just yeah. like handing it over to somebody else to run things. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, let's, uh, let's talk about the second right that you mentioned. Which one is that? Um, in the First Amendment? Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. Yeah, just I, so we did speech. You know, religion is a okay. big one for me. Okay. I'm I'm very much, I'm I'm very much for um, being able to allow people to believe what they want to believe with religion. Um, there, that one was one of the shorter aspects of that chapter, just because there's only so much to say. And and I said in the chapter, I said you know right now there's there's only one case. It was Espinoza v. Montana State Revenue of, in 2015 where she and a few other mothers who were a part of a Christian school were applying for the state's uh, aid program. And the state said, well, we want to do separation of church and state, and we are going to deny you that funds because she was a single mother along with other women who were in her community. And so they sued for religious discrimination, rightfully so. And so I wrote that just how the the First Amendment uh, religion of freedom of religion speech clause says that you can't um, – discriminate based on religion, you also can't, or make laws that, you know, bar religion, you can't also make laws that, um, you know, separate people, if this makes any sense, I'm kind of everywhere right now. You can't isolate a single group and believe that they are better, because they were still giving funds to people of different religions, and so they, you know, out of public outcry, they didn't want to make people mad, Um, and so they took it to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court ultimately said, 
yeah, you can't do that. They are eligible for those funds just because they're of a religious school does not mean that they are not eligible for those because you can't discriminate based on religious mm. views as well. Okay, so. okay. So the court kind of took the angle on this one that this 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 umbrella organization is is giving out money to a wide variety of groups, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so this religious group happened to be one of them, mm-hmm. and so fine. Okay, so give them some money. Yeah. It's and, totally good. Yeah, and they said no, and then they ended up, I think it was in the Montana's Constitution said they couldn't do it, so they struck that part down, and then the legislature changed it, which is good. I mean, I, I don't care what religion anybody is. If you're denying them, you know, just funds to be able to live, like, yeah. that's, that's horrible. Yeah. So yeah. That, that's pretty much that one. And then I went on to um, uh, Freedom of the Press, Okay, which... Say what you want about the press. I know everyone has their different opinions. <laughs> Nobody likes the press. I don't like the press. <laughs> I I read a lot. That's how I stay informed. Okay. And um, I just I talked about you know it's it's kind of like people say that the the press is the fourth branch of government because right. how influential it can be with regarding people's you know opinions and changing them and swaying them. And I kind of talked about how you know in theory the press was meant to be something that you know if if the government was doing something that they were trying to keep under wraps or they were trying to like, you know, change the people's minds. They would be the ones to like be the wall against that and be like, okay, hold up. That's not right. We're going to let the people know what you're doing in a wide variety of ways like newspapers. And that's expanded today to be social media, um, you know, like YouTube apps and everything. All of those things. Yeah. All of those things. Yeah. We yeah. start off with just uh, newspapers, but then pretty soon we have radio. We have newsreels, we have television, mm-hmm. et cetera. Yeah, and so there's really not a whole lot of court cases about uh, the freedom of the press because it's kind of just always been understood that the freedom of the press is the freedom of the press. You can't stop people from publishing certain things unless, it, of course, this goes along with the, the freedom of speech aspect where you can't publish libel like Amber Heard's thing. Right, and right, right. Um, and then so I finished the chapter with talking about the freedom to assemble. Okay. Which you can't have the, that, that freedom to assemble if you don't have the first three. Because ultimately, you can take any of the first three or combine all of the three um, and say that you are petitioning or assembling to protest against actions that the government are taking against, say, your, you know, a, right, a violation of your religious liberty or a violation of your freedom of speech. Okay. And so I talked about there was a case during the civil rights movement where a group of students who wanted to just go to school as they have the right to do. Um, they were barred from going to school. And so they did a sit in at the school and they were peacefully protesting. And that's, that's a big, big, big part of that is you can't, you know, break windows, loot things, steal things. Absolutely. Um, you have to do it peacefully. They were just sitting there and they got arrested and they took it all the way to the Supreme court Mm. after the state Supreme court actually struck them down um, and the, the federal Supreme Court said, yeah, like that, that was a violation of your freedom of speech or freedom of the uh, right to assemble. I'm sorry. Um, which, again, this was during a very volatile time in the United States. And had they struck that down and said, yeah, you can't do that, that would have been horrible for civil rights of African-Americans in the United States. Yes. Yeah. Well, I, I want to ask a little bit about all of these rights. Um Freedom of speech, um, an assembly, and everything else. Let's let's actually let me focus in on the assembly thing. What do you make of um, situations like in Australia recently? Granted, they don't have a First Amendment, mm-hmm. uh, where they were, I guess, quarantining people. 
for not following along with, I guess, vaccine policy. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and then also, too, just, I guess, prohibiting people from going out and about, you know, wanting to go about their business Mm -hmm. because, you know, various societies decided, hey, we want to be in lockdown, Mm -hmm. you know, we need to be in lockdown, et cetera. Well, so it's, that would probably be the most modern day example of like why the right to, and Canada is now in this road as well, where going down this road as well, where it's, you're, you're taking away the people's right to tell you why they're angry mm. and why they're doing what they're doing. And so okay. it, I, I think I wrote about this. I, I did write about this in my book as well, where there was a situation where in Australia, there was an old woman of about 82 who was just walking in a park without a mask. And obviously you don't know someone's vaccination status. This was before the vaccine. She was shoved to the ground and pepper sprayed where she broke, I think, her leg and was taken to the hospital um, because they just shoved her to the ground for not wearing a mask in a public park alone. Okay. And, you know, say what you want about anything about COVID, but for any government entity or police officer to be able to do that is not only an abuse of power. Right. But, you know, that, that just gives you a reason to protest. And so people protested against that and said, you know, that was uncool. She was alone by herself in an open outside park. And she's 82. Yeah. She's brittle. Mm -hmm. And you're going to shove her to the ground and (laughs) break her leg. And they protested. And now they're doing, again, what other countries around the world have done, which is they silence the people who are protesting. And they're not allowing them to voice their grievances and tell them why they're angry. Yeah. Which I think creates more divide between the people and the government. Well, I, I do too. And then, okay, so let's let's just briefly talk about the social media aspect of this a little bit. Because uh, let's say I post something that Mark Zuckerberg doesn't want me to post. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it could be on vaccines or masks or COVID, but it might be on something else as well. Mm-hmm. Um, how do we determine whether or not we think that's cool. I mean, I, I guess the, the argument in favor of censorship is, hey, that's his platform. You know, he owns it. You're there basically because you're a guest, so to speak. Um, so tough rocks. He can do what he feels like. Yeah, I think that with, I mean, it's just kind of like a like a business. They have the right to refuse service to uh-huh. anybody if they, if they come in and they start yelling terrible things. Like, they have the right to be like, okay. get out. Okay. Um, I, I think it's the same thing as... as Again, like I'm, I'm very black and white on this issue. I'm very, it is what it is kind of thing. Uh-huh. Where it's if if you're saying something that the app doesn't want you to, like they unfortunately or fortunately, however you look at it, okay. have the right to say, okay, we don't want that on our platform. It's a private company. Okay. But once you start opening the door to what essentially Twitter has done, which is silencing a certain political party, then that's when it becomes a problem for me. So, I mean, when with a situation like that, what's the remedy? I mean, should, I don't know, should these platforms be taken over by the government and turned into public utilities where there's freedom of speech? Or should, should there be a law passed that, that basically opens them up for more freedom of speech? So, or should the consumers just leave mm-hmm. these platforms, you know, in mass? That's that's what we've seen is that, you know, people have like Truth Social is a new one where they're, uh-huh. they're saying, OK, well, we're going to have this. You can say whatever you want okay. as long as it has these certain guidelines, obviously, um, which I think is honestly just the best response. Like, okay. you, I mean, I, I'm like that, too. It's like if you don't I don't have Twitter. I used to have Twitter many years ago. I deleted it for the same reason. I was just 
saying to myself, like, I don't like the road that this platform is going down. I don't have Truth Social, but if I were to have something like that, I would have that okay. because I can see both sides of the issue and not just see one side of an okay. issue and not worry about being silenced if I were to say anything, okay. too. So I think that's probably the best response is just... For the consumer to do something about it. I agree, yes. Uh, okay, but I mean, it, it is obviously, it's a, it's a huge platform with a billion people on it, Facebook, mm-hmm. and so they have a lot of power. But but okay, so point taken. Um, maybe just one more question on freedom of speech and, and the First Amendment, and mm-hmm. then let's move on to other rights. Mm-hmm. What do you make of campus codes, like speech codes? See, I here's my understanding just from this conference that I went to. Mm-hmm. High school students do have less freedom of speech than adults. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not quite sure where the cutoff point is, but there are certain things that high school students are not allowed to say necessarily. College students, on the other hand, are adults, and they are paying for the experience. Um, and yet many colleges will have speech codes, uh, things that could get you expelled, et cetera. And, and I, I had my own crazy thought on the subject, but... I didn't read this anywhere. Well, my crazy thought was, I guess people should really read the speech codes before they go to the college, Mm -hmm. you know? And uh, if you sign up for this, that if you choose, hey, I'm going to enter this organization, and if they have all these various speech codes and things like that, um, you might just have to live with what you signed up with. Mm. I I hate the whole concept of speech codes. Mm -hmm. I really, truly do. Mm -hmm. Um, And I would ask the university to limit these uh, down to like maybe just one or two rules, if at all possible, maybe zero. Mm -hmm. Uh, If it's legal in the United States, I think it should be legal on campus. Mm -hmm. That would kind of be my guiding principle. I'm not sure I would want to send my kid to a school that had speech codes. Mm-hmm. But all that being said, if, if the campus has got 25 speech code rules, well, if you knew what all those were in advance, then you could say, okay, I am willing to give you my $30,000 a year mm-hmm. and, uh, and I'll follow your rules. I and think I'll do so happily. Yeah, It'd be like joining the Marines. You know, there's going to be certain things you have to do if you join the Marines and uh, that's just all there is to it. Mm-hmm. I, so... The college I attend is very, very good about, it's a private institution. It it goes, it's very good about allowing everybody to have their, you know, thing to speak. Okay. Uh, Their their ability to say whatever they want. Obviously, in the last, I would say, 20 years, college campuses have moved way more left when it comes to their speech codes. And I don't say that in a political form. I mean that in the way of of censorship, in the form of you can't say certain things. This is why I made a big distinction between in the book between hate speech and freedom of speech. And again, rise and triumph of the modern self, people take a, just a disagreeing of opinion as an attack on their personal identity, and mm. that technically to these schools is hate speech. So I completely disagree with the speech codes. I think if you are going to make a speech code, it should be what everybody would essentially agree with, which is you you can't say anything that's of a racist, racist matter, can't say anything of a sexist matter, and if you disagree with somebody, you can't attack their personal character. But again, this is this is why it's so difficult with the way that our society is going, because where is that cutoff of attacking someone's identity and attacking someone's idea? Right. Because to a lot of people, those ideas are their reality. Right. And it then becomes a freaking philosophical debate <laughs> almost because it's like, oh, well, when's the cutoff? It's like, well, I, I don't know. And so I think 
you know, because you can't just have straight freedom of speech. You have to have some limitations. So I think it's up to the individual schools to set those limitations, kind of okay. like what you're saying. I, I 100% agree with what you're saying. Yeah, okay, mm-hmm. okay. That they should write very, very clear codes, and then they should hand these to every applicant who's mm-hmm. thinking about going to their school mm-hmm. and say, are you cool with these eight rules or maybe a certain school, these 417 rules <laughs> you know, that we have? Are you cool with all these rules? Because before we take your tuition dollars, mm-hmm. we, we want to make sure that you're okay with all of this. 100%. Gotcha. Gotcha. And, and you know, again, for me, the ideal perfect number would be zero like zero speech. If it's legal in the United States, I think that it should be legal on campus. I agree. If it's a, it's a public funded, federally funded institution, like, you know, if it's not private, like Benedictine or Rockhurst or Avila, then yeah, I Mm -hmm. I agree. It should follow the same things. Okay. Okay. So where we're going to go next guns. Yeah, we could do that. Sure. Okay. So in the second chapter of the book, I talked about the importance of having, you know, the ability to, you know, arm yourself. So again, same line, like talk about the constitutional citation, um, you know, the historical, you know, point behind it, why it's important. And then I talked about how there were two main um, unwritten aspects in the Constitution that the Supreme Court has said in multiple different cases has um, what they call a penumbra, and it, it covers over these two aspects of protection from authoritarian, authoritarianism and then self-defense. So I think the 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 clause about the self-defense one is important, but it's not as important as authoritarianism and protecting from that. Yeah. So expand on each of those so that people know where you're going with this. Yeah. So with the protection for being, or being able to have, you know, protect yourself. Self-defense. Yeah. And it's like that book we talked about a few months ago, which was the laws of self-defense. You have a right to life, liberty, and property in the constitution. And part of that is your right to protect yourself. Okay. So I talked about how when you have the ability to protect yourself, there's a lot of provisions and ideas that go into that. Okay. And, you know, there's five pillars of self-defense. That's extremely important. You have to meet all of those. We've talked about that before. Um, And so, you know, right to self-defense is important. But to me, the most important reason for the Second Amendment is protection from your government. Okay. Because, you know, people – I've said this to people before where they're like, why do you you care about – having you know red flag laws or why do you care about people having their guns taken away and it's because to me i worry then in the next 50 years especially with the past couple years we've had people try to force things upon americans that the government would come in and say okay you can't do certain things anymore and they would try to control our lives in worse ways than they're already trying to and you know we've already seen that in a lot of countries and it i make a point in the book that the first thing that you do besides take away everybody's rights to freedom of speech religion press assembly is you take away their ability to fight back and how do they fight back well they can't fight back with knives they can't fight back with fists you take back their guns so in nazi germany they did essentially a forced buyback wasn't even a buyback they just took their guns and if you didn't give up your guns you were either you know killed or you were had your food taken away from your family so kind of had to choose, you know, give up your guns or, you know, live. Um, Same thing with, you know, Soviet Russia, same thing. Um, Instituted a a gun ban uh, for only government entities. Same thing with Maoist China. Mao Zedong did that. And then now what just happened about two weeks ago was Canada is Mm -hmm. now saying that, where they're saying we want to 
you know, we're, we're stopping all handgun sales. We're stopping all firearm sales, which, again, <laughs> there has never been a situation in recorded history where a country and government have taken away the rights of the people to defend themselves that has not ended in a genocide or mass bloodshed. Okay. It so, has not happened. I mean, okay, some people would say that's extremely alarmist, okay, that, uh, hey, Hitler, Stalin, Mao, that's one thing, but now we have to worry about Canada? We have to worry about Canada going on genocide? I mean, friendly, polite, you know, moose-loving Canadians are <laughs> going to have a genocide? I don't know, you know, again, I don't want to just say there's going to be a genocide. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. For better example, let's let's look at in the past 20 years of Venezuela. Okay. Let's see what happened to them. Okay. They are they took away their uh, the people's guns to fight back and now their inflation is something like 335,000 times right. for every like dollar or something. Right. So they, I, I went through a chart on this and they literally had a year, I think it was 2014 where the inflation rate was 1 million percent. Yeah. I mean, in previous years, it had only been like 20,000 percent or something like that, which only. that's enough to wipe out everybody, like whatever grandma has saved up for, you know, uh, for her old age. I mean, that just gets wiped out. Like mm-hmm. your $10,000 in the United States can't buy anything, can't buy a lifesaver, mm-hmm. you know, can't buy like a stick of gum mm-hmm. uh, and you are wiped out, mm-hmm. you know, so 1 million percent, everybody is wiped out. Yeah. And, and when people started to revolt against that, of of the fact that they for, they didn't have guns, and then like fifteen years later they went over to a socialist ec- economy, and they trying to put this in the best words. I'm sorry. Um, pretty much, people started to revolt, and the government with their guns started to commit mass genocide against the people. Mm. And there's a point I note in the book where the uh, government of Venezuela was was putting guns in certain like weapons around the bodies and taking pictures of them so that the United Nations wouldn't catch on to what they were doing. Oh my gosh. And I don't know if that stopped. I hope it it stopped. Okay. But, you know, that just shows you that you can't trust anybody with your own personal safety. You have to make that decision yourself. If you don't want to carry a gun, that's fine. But you have to understand the reason as to why we have the ability to defend ourselves from a tyrannical government. Okay. And it, it, I, I agree with what you said earlier. It does sound a little bit alarmist to say that moose-loving maple syrup Canada <laughs> is going to cause a genocide. But you, in all these countries, I mean, I, again, I, I'm going to you know, err on the side of caution and say, okay, maybe taking away the rights of guns is not the first best step. It's, it's just not a good sign. It's a sign of controlling your yeah. people is what, you know, if you really wanted to do that. Well, and I, I think it's fair to say, okay, and, and I think anybody my age would say this. Heck, I think anybody 20 years younger than me would say this, is that this country, the United States, has changed enormously in the last 10 years. I agree. Or like in the last 20 years. And mm-hmm. so if you talk with anybody who's really old, they will say that, oh, my gosh, like this was a completely different world in, say, 1962 or 72 or 82 or 92. They would just say that things are just radically, radically different. And so things can obviously change very, very quickly. Um, Well, here's an example. Um, In February of 2020, next to nobody that I knew thought that we were going to have a worldwide pandemic, that we were going to have lockdowns. Uh, that we were going to have all the social upheaval that we've had. Just nobody thought this. Mm-hmm. Absolutely nobody thought this. And then the, the world changed completely. So 
So in terms of like the guns and things like that, so I, I think your point basically is all of these nasty dictatorships that people don't like, you know, like Stalin and Mao and people like that, they all instituted gun control. Mm-hmm. And then that is what allowed them to kind of do what they would do. And that mm-hmm. we really actually do need to have the government be maybe slightly afraid of us, afraid of the population, yeah. just a little bit afraid. You're right, 100%. And it's I, I made a note of that in the book where it's like that's the ultimate check. Like okay. the, there's checks and balances within the branches and there's checks. There's the check on the government is the guns. Okay. And going on gun control, I think that's a good point you brought up where I, I made a note talking about the mass, you know, school shootings that okay. have happened. Okay. You know, the Columbine shooting, the Sandy Hook shooting, the shooting of Mandalay Bay in Las Vegas, the shooting of Parkland yes. in Florida. All of them were carried out with illegally owned or tampered with firearms mm. that were illegal. So, for example, Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold bought through a straw purchase the guns that they used in the massacre, which were handguns. You know, even if you can make the argument that, oh, 18-year-olds can buy long-barreled rifles, it's well, they used handguns and homemade bombs and explosive devices. Okay. Gun and control the, wouldn't have controlled that. None of which were illegal. They were already breaking the law in the first place. Yeah, and it's like the same thing. It's like criminals are going to find a way to break the law, regardless of what laws are in there. It's kind of their job as yeah. criminals. They're supposed to break the law. <laughs> well, I mean, they're not supposed to, but, I mean, if, if the word criminal is attached to you, yeah. that's what you do. You break the law. Exactly. You know, back in the day when I taught college English, mm-hmm. uh, students would write papers on a wide variety of topics, including gun control. And I always made everybody give me, oh, I don't know, somewhere between three and seven arguments in favor and then three and seven arguments against whatever their topic might be. And mm-hmm. so a lot of people were writing about gun control. And so I always said, hey, I don't want any straw man arguments. I don't want any, you know, hey, I don't like what the other side says, so I'm going to bring in their weakest arguments possible so that I can knock them down. I always advocated for people to pick the strongest arguments they possibly could mm-hmm. on both sides. Hmm. And, of course, they were free to come to whatever conclusion that they wanted to come to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were free to tell me up front or they were free to tell me at the end. Uh, so, like, let's say, for example, you're 100% in favor of gun control. That's fine. Um, I'm not going to, like, downgrade you for that. But I do want you to bring in the top three, four, five arguments against gun control. Mm-hmm. And there was one argument that people just always had a really hard time dealing with, and it was this. Um, it's this argument that let's just say we institute nationwide gun control. Mm -hmm. And so then all of the law-abiding citizens, or maybe, I don't know, half of them, decide, okay, I'll abide by the law, I will turn in my guns, and so then they all turn in their guns. Mm -hmm. So then now what you're going to have is you're going to have a bunch of law-abiding citizens who decide to keep their guns. So now they've just been transformed into people who have contraband. Yeah. But in the meantime, anybody who was a criminal in the first place... Uh, they're already ignoring the law, and if they have one, two, three, five, twelve handguns, they're not going to give up any of these. Mm. Because by definition, why would a criminal surrender his guns mm-hmm. or her guns? Why would a criminal do that? They just simply would not give up their weapon. They're mm-hmm. already a criminal. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got this gun probably illegally, maybe illegally. Why would they possibly give it up? People had the hardest time coming up with a counter argument for that. 
I can't think to of the one argument right now. of yeah, like a, that. Uh, well, only criminals will have guns. You know. Well, if, I mean, yeah. If you make anything illegal, like if I were to make water illegal tomorrow, anybody with a water bottle now becomes a criminal. Yeah. You know, it's the same thing. It's like yeah. if. So why would they give them? Why would they give up their guns? Exactly. Why would you give up something so like that you've spent? thousands of dollars i agree I'm yeah 100 or that you stole fair and square if you're a criminal <laughs> yeah it's registered to someone else you stole that fair and square yeah, yeah it's it, you know it the topic of guns is probably i mean i don't know if you agree with me but it's okay. probably the most controversial amendment in the constitution um but i'm stumped if there's one that's more controversial maybe freedom of speech but other than that i can't think of anything off the top of my head yeah and it's you know the whole argument it's like people just about like I don't know because they again I'm very black and white on these kind of things where it's like I I do agree that like you can't just get rid of something and then expect all the problems to go away it's like you you know we've we've had drugs illegal for 40 years and it's still it's a big problem it's still a big problem it's It's probably a worse problem do you think I gosh that's hard for me to know (laughs) it is really hard for me to know I remember President Bush the first (laughs) discussing that and actually showing a bag of crack to an audience like he says oh. this is crack that holds up a little baggie and and uh, it's like drugs are a big it. problem in our society <laughs> i am announcing a war on drugs hmm. and so then we had this big war on drugs and as far as i can tell drug use either stayed the same or got worse all the way throughout the war on drugs i think so yeah so it's you know it's just it's it's a very very difficult subject to speak about but in the end I feel like emotions cloud our judgments when it comes to these things, especially with the recent school shooting that happened in Uvalde, Texas. You know, it's, again, although Texas does have some of the most less stringent gun laws, I would say. for sure. You know, two weeks before that, there were shootings in Buffalo, New York, and and, and somewhere in California, I forget where it was, but those two states have some of the strictest gun control in the United States, if not the strictest gun control. And still had shootings. Exactly. Well, and they, and the yeah. one in Texas, uh, in the in the city that you just mentioned, correct me if I'm wrong, but people are extremely mad at the uh, chief of police for oh the schools did there. You, did you hear what came out, I think it was yesterday or two days ago? Yeah, go ahead, and uh, I think you can probably uh, articulate this better than I can. They, they pretty much, again, I don't know, it's breaking, so I don't know like how much of it is like, protocol and how much of it is just the police not wanting to do anything but they pretty much found out that they had been in the school for 12 minutes in the same hallway just standing there and there's video of them Mm. not running towards the shooter letting him go door to door shooting people and it's it is just like nightmarish gut-wrenching yeah just watching it happen um and it's unfortunate because again in theory and it was a it was a uh border patrol agent who took the shotgun of his friend who actually went into the school out of protocol and stopped the shooter. Okay. And it's it's very unfortunate that those kids weren't given the ability to have somebody protect them. Yes. Because those police, in my opinion, didn't act. Yes. And yeah, so, I feel like... So far, tentatively speaking, I, I think an investigation's in order, you know, to find out did the police do their job to the best of their ability or were they restrained from doing their job? Um, all, I think all of these questions absolutely need to be asked and answered. Mm-hmm. And so my girlfriend and I took a concealed carry class a few okay. weeks ago. So okay. I'm applying for my concealed carry. Okay. Because I, I, I have a gun. I've bought a gun. Okay. And the, the whole process has been just extremely, extremely just boring and like just very like 
like just they they make it difficult for you, extremely okay. difficult. And I just remember we were in the class a couple weeks ago, and our teacher said, you know, you have to understand that when you carry a gun, you have two responsibilities: one, the 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 knowledge that you may have to kill somebody, okay, and two, the will to act. Mm. If you don't have either one, or or I like if you if you have one and not the other. Or if you don't have either, you should not be carrying a firearm. Okay. And his reasoning with that, we actually took it the day after the shooting happened. Oh, and wow. He said the same thing. He's like, guys, I can tell you right now what's going to happen is is they're going to say that the police didn't act, they didn't do these things. If you carry a gun and you see something that you know is, is someone about to do something bad and they start to do it, you have to act on that. If not, you are just a waste of a carry. Mm. And that was really powerful for me. Yeah. Because... You know, I, I've, I've. It dabs all the responsibility off on you. Exactly, and it's, it's, it really puts in perspective for you. They're like, okay, this isn't a toy. This isn't me, like being able to like act all tough and yeah, scary. Yeah, you're not larping live action role playing. Yeah, exactly. Like that. You're given the responsibility of possibly taking somebody's life if they are trying to take the lives of okay. other people, which is scary. And he's like, you have to come to terms with that might happen. And I. I haven't been carrying because I, honestly, I haven't come to terms with that yet. Okay. So I don't feel that they, I don't feel like I'm responsible enough to do so yet. And even though in Kansas I can carry, I've been saying to myself, I don't want to carry until I've taken the class. I've got my concealed carry permit and I have mentally come to terms with that. Okay. And it may take me a few more months, if not years, but I, I don't know. I don't I think rush that's that. fair. I think there's a lot of things in life that a person is better off just not going anywhere near until they feel they're ready to do so. I, I think that's that's fair. I mean, there's other situations where, hey, if you want to learn to swim, you probably should get in the water. But but this is a, a big life or death question. And there's just a few things like that. It's like uh, every time I boat, there are always certain issues on the ballot that I leave blank. Mm-hmm. Because, hey, if I don't know about that particular issue, I don't want to cancel out an intelligent person's vote, mm-hmm. you know, because I'm ignorant. Be. Yeah. yeah. So, um, okay. So are, is there anything else on the gun control issue that, that we should discuss? That's pretty much it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Let's move on to the next right cool. that you articulated in your book. So third chapter, which I said was the crux of the book, was okay. what's known as the rights of the accused, which is the okay. fourth, fifth, sixth set. Fourth, Fifth, Sixth, and Eighth Amendments. Okay. So Fourth Amendment is the right against unreasonable searches and seizures, the outlining of warrants, probable cause, um, things like that. Fifth Amendment is the right to, essentially the right to a grand jury, the right to remain silent, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, Sixth Amendment, the right to due process of law, which along with the Fifth Amendment, you have the right to an attorney, you have the right to be tried in front of a jury of your own peers, and then the Eighth Amendment is against cruel and unusual punishments. Okay. So I began the chapter with speaking of um, Miranda v. Arizona, 1966, okay. where he, I think we've talked about this before, but he was he was accused of murdering and raping a woman, and he was essentially not told his rights, and so he confessed fully to what had happened. Right. He didn't. Ernesto Miranda, uh, 1966, I believe, the mm-hmm. famous Miranda rights that you always hear on television. You, yeah. know, you have the right to remain silent. Yep. Anything you say can and will be held against you in a court of law. Yep. You know, all of that. Yeah, and I, I, uh, I talked about that, and I was like, well, the court in its, in its decision said that there was an, uh, an unstated right and a duty for police officers to inform 
uh, suspects of ha who have committed a crime that they have certain rights and protections that they can use in their aid and their disposal in their case. Which I think is good because what if I last took civics 25 years ago Yeah, and I get pulled over and let's just say for the sake of hypothetical, I am totally innocent yeah. of whatever they're pulling me over for. Mm -hmm. But they want to go through my car with, I don't know, a microscope, et cetera, mm. you know? Yeah, and, and I, again, that's... that's uh, it's a really interesting point you bring up about like what they can and can't do when yeah. they can search. That's the Fourth Amendment. Is do, do they need a search warrant in that case? Like, let's say I'm driving along, da 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 da, I'm driving, and then they pull me over, and they kind of want to go through the car. So, so if I, I said this, so if, if the Fourth Amendment protects against unreasonable searches and seizures, okay. so in order for a search, <coughs> excuse me, to be reasonable. They have to have probable cause, and if they have probable cause, they have to believe that you've actually committed a crime or in the process of committing a crime or what's known as the plain view doctrine. So if they pull you over and you have weed in your seat and it's illegal in the state that you're in, okay. then they have the ability to search your car because they believe okay. that there's other illegal substances. How about somebody gets pulled over and it's a case of mistaken identity? Let's say the police are looking for, I don't know, a blue Chevrolet because there was a bank robbery and you happen to be driving a very <laughs> similar car. I'm, I don't know if my case is a little ridiculous here that I'm coming up with, yeah. but, but maybe it's just like a case of mistaken identity. Somebody gets pulled over. They weren't even speeding, you know? Yeah, it has to, you know, again... The, Probable cause is a weird thing because okay. it, it all is about like officer's discretion. And so if, okay. if they believe that the person that they see or the person, you know, the car that they're driving was used in a crime, they, they have probable cause to believe. So let's say, let's say for example, that both your car and the, a car that they're looking for has like a broken taillight. Okay. That gives him probable cause to say, okay, I have two things now that match the description of what I'm looking for. Okay. I need to pull this guy over and, if he's not great, if he is better, because I have the guy that I'm looking for. Okay. It's a very weird concept, but diving into the literature a lot more about it makes a lot more sense. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. All righty. Well, I guess I should just let you keep going. What else <laughs> do you want to say with this chapter? Um. Yeah. So then I went into the Fifth Amendment, and I said the Fifth and the, the rights of due process um, about the Fifth and the Sixth Amendments, where they are separate, but they're also together they, they okay. together make what's known as due process in the 14th amendment um, it outlined that you can't be deprived of life liberty or property without due process of law and so due process of law is that you get to go through the right to have your case be heard by a grand jury which essentially you know either brings charges against you or doesn't where a okay. prosecutor brings charges to a group of people and says here's all the evidence i have do you think it's likely to get a conviction and if they say yes it moves on to the trial process and then you can enter into a plea of not guilty or guilty Depends on a lot of things, um, and so I was I was talking about how it, like what you just said earlier, where it's like so many people hear you have the right to remain silent uh -huh. from movies, and they yeah. don't know what it means because yeah. it's just desensitized in their head. Right, and I just kind of talked about how that is to so many people's detriment because they don't really know what that means. Well, I mean, what what should you do? I mean, should you remain silent? Because okay, I, I just. Speaking hypothetically mm -hmm. here, or or maybe it varies in every case, and there's no generalization possible. But let's say again, my guy gets pulled over, and uh, it's a case of mistaken identity. He's truly innocent, but let's just say he's also just by nature a highly anxious person. And so then the police are noticing, oh, this guy is sweating, 
and uh, and we're looking for this bank robber, etc. And this this guy is behaving in a very very nervous way. And but his parents always taught him cooperate with law enforcement. Mm-hmm. So then they start asking him questions, and he starts stammering out answers. And because he's such a high high strung person, he just winds up, I don't know, sounding really really bad, really really bad. And so then the police decide, oh, let's take this guy into custody. Mm-hmm. Um, what would have been the best route for somebody who's falsely suspected? So. Or is there is it possible to generalize? If it's not, I guess just tell me it's not. I, yeah, it's it's not. It, it kind of depends on the situation because, okay. like, you have the right to remain silent in the sense that if you're suspected of committing a crime, you don't have to answer questions. So if if you get arrested, okay, and they're they are charging you with, you know, let's say that guy gets arrested, and they try to talk to you and ask you questions, you have no obligation to incriminate yourself okay. and to give them ammo against you is essentially what the, the, the amendment means. Okay. And so if you, it, I mean, honestly, personally, I believe it's in everyone's best interest to cooperate with law enforcement uh-huh. because if you have nothing to hide, you have nothing to hide. I don't like those people that are like, oh, I have nothing to hide, but I'm not going to say anything or okay. they're not going to roll their police on. I have a lot of respect for law enforcement. Sure. And I think if you just be nice to them and treat them like human beings, they'll also treat you like human beings. And that's just my opinion. And, and you know, very, being cooperative goes a long way. I think so, too. I mean, that's, that's I think, personally how I would handle that situation. I'm not mm-hmm. giving advice to any other human when I say that. But but that's – I think you and I have the same attitude on that. Mm-hmm. I do. Yeah. I do. I agree. So. Yeah, and so it's – it's more so not just during like routine traffic stops. It's it's more during situ- you know, it's like I think we talked about this before where it's like, you know, if you're in an interrogation room and you're someone's asking you and you're not even accused of a crime, you're just is suspected of being in connection with the crime. You just stay silent because okay. anything you say is gonna just be connected to that case. And it's okay. Again, just like Michael Crow, had he remained silent he could have had an attorney be like, there's no way that this kid did this. But because mm-hmm. they forced him to speak and they forced him to, they made him write a written confession. Oh my. So it was like, wow. You know. And then it, again, like I, I referenced that in the book during this chapter a lot to give an example. So yeah, this is where Michael Crow went okay. wrong. I mean, well, not, not, he didn't go wrong, but he, his, he, his policemen failed him because yes. they didn't tell him like yeah you're able to stay silent if you want yeah gosh i, I guess i'm a, i'm torn here i and other people have to decide for themselves what to do but if you take his case he was an innocent person 14 year old he would have been better off not saying a word mm-hmm. but five minutes ago i just got done saying that i would you know speak fully to mm-hmm. the police and cooperate and, and try to be as nice as possible and helpful and agreeable as possible. Mm-hmm. So I guess I'm saying opposite things here. Oh, I thought you meant I, – I was under the assumption you were talking about routine traffic stops to cooperate oh, with yeah, police. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean yeah. like if you're – I mean I'm, I'm telling you right now, oh. if I even if I didn't commit a crime, if I did commit a crime, hopefully not, but I get taken into a police station and they interrogate me, I'm not saying anything. Okay. All you, I mean I'm – again – you request an attorney. Uh, I, that's not legal advice, but I, I am going to request an attorney. I'm not speaking with anybody. It's like, I just think that there are a lot of good people out there and there are a lot of bad people out there. And if you're in a bad situation like Michael was where you're put in a situation where you're being forced to 
incriminate yourself, okay, you know that's a very dangerous road to go down. I, okay, okay. I maybe one way for me to look at this. I'm only speaking for myself and not giving anybody advice. Is that if the stakes are low, like a traffic stop, mm-hmm. you're better off being kind and polite and agreeable. Yes, and all that. But if the stakes are high, that I don't know, they take you in, put you in interrogation room. Uh, first bring in like the grouchy cop, then bring in like the nice cop, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, then at that point, probably the only thing I'm going to say is I would like an attorney. Yep. And that's, I, I gave an example of Kyle Rittenhouse. That's what he okay. did. And he stayed silent. He was like, I don't want to speak to you. I want an attorney. And they were like, okay, we'll get you an attorney. He spoke to his attorney. And then during the trial in November of 21, they started to comment, the prosecution started to comment on his right to remain silent, which is something okay. they cannot do. And the judge reprimanded him for it and said it was a grave constitutional violation. Oh. And, you know, so I wrote that in the book, which is like, you know, if you choose to remain silent, they cannot use against that against you because it's not an admission of guilt. It's just choosing to do what's best for your case. Yeah, yeah. You do have the right to remain silent. And if other people want to read something into that, well, then, hey, that's just their opinion. Yeah, you exactly. Know? So, yeah, so, yeah, Kyle Rittenhouse chose to remain silent and then he gets into the courtroom and then like you say then the prosecutor lights into him and says well you know when you're silent like that you look guilty Mm -hmm. well not necessarily you know and then he was found innocent yeah it was and i i really do think that was partly because he stayed kept his freaking mouth shut (laughs) and didn't say anything because again we talked about this last time where it's like they could have easily gotten a conviction with emotions if they really wanted to had kyle said one sentence to them they Mm. would have taken it and run with it yeah could have easily said the wrong sentence yeah exactly yeah Yeah. well you know i just i didn't know you know you could say anything like i didn't know what he was doing and then that just destroys your case boom Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah. You could misspeak. You could be not the world's most articulate person. Uh, just whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what's the last right that you cover in the book? So besides due process, or, um, or did I hop ahead? Did I miss something? Oh, the this, last the from, last chapter. Yeah, yeah. 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 So last chapter was about privacy rights. Um, so the main reason I wrote the chapter was because I wanted to stop at three chapters. Because I was like, maybe I'm, maybe there's no other rights really in the Bill of Rights that you can really speak about. You can talk about like the Ninth and Tenth Amendments, which essentially just give rights back to the states. Yep. Um, but I was like, I don't know if that's really important. And then everything was going on with people's medical autonomy in December of 21. And I got inspired to write another chapter. And I started writing it because I said there's an inherent right to privacy within the United States not just of medical privacy, but also of just privacy in general, like, you know, online privacy. Okay. So going, it goes along with the Fourth Amendment where it's you have a right to, excuse me, um, not have government entities come into your place of home and just raid it. You have that privacy. They can't just, like, plow into your house and just go through all of the books and yeah. oh hey here's your journal i yeah. think we'll read that exactly yeah yeah they uh, it's not east germany during the cold war not yet <laughs> where you could do all that yeah hopefully not um yeah and uh, i talked about the main part of the chapter was the medical privacy part of the chapter because this may be a little bit political i apologize um that's okay yeah, and I, I don't know how we can avoid it. Yeah, it's, you know, I, whatever you, 
one subscribes to with vaccines for COVID-19. I am not anti-vaccine, but I am also not forced pro-forced mandates of the vaccine because one thing I, I noted in the book was that Though, and, you know, this, this, I said this, this doesn't downplay any of the people who've died and any of the people whose lives have been affected by it. But you have to start asking questions when the disease kills less people in the year of 2020 to 2022, less people in that two-year span than influenza A or B has done in the course of about five or seven years. It has this, about the same mortality rate, mm-hmm. and the people who die from COVID-19 all have these pre-existing conditions or they have, you know, complications in their health. And so those, that's where most of the deaths are coming from. And I talked about how in November of 21, President Biden announced that he was going to force any company that had over 100 employees to mandate that based with OSHA, which makes no sense, um, to mandate the vaccine. And if they didn't get the vaccine by, I think it was January 4th of 2022, that they had to pay $13,000 per violation. And then every time there was a continued violation or willful ignorance of the violation, then it was like, I think $100,000 per violation. Jeez. So it was essentially saying, get the vaccine or we're going to bankrupt your company. Right. Pretty right. much. And, and they and they was like, okay, if you don't want to get vaccinated, the, the employees out of their own pocket have to pay for weekly COVID vaccine test or COVID-19 tests. Okay. Which are expensive. Okay. And... So many people, I think it was the Daily Wire who actually led the charge against that, but they filed lawsuits against the Biden administration. Yeah. And the week that it was actually slated to go into place, the Supreme Court struck it down and said that there wasn't mm. the ability to force people to do this because there, I don't know how much you know about the risks that are involved with the vaccine. There's people who have said that they've had myocard myocarditis I yeah think that's how it it's is. pronounced yeah I'm, yeah I'm terrible with medical stuff that's I, okay <laughs> they they all have like 35 letters you know these yeah. medical terms yeah i have i have no deal i i talk to my dad all the time and he just tells me these things and i'm like can you just like act like i'm a third grader and <laughs> put it Don't in say, that yeah myotachycardia just say heart attack yeah the heart attack there yeah you go. and i i cited these two different studies out of mit and um the name of the institution, but they did it in Israel. Okay. Israel is one of the most pro-vaccination and most, not politically, but just socially liberal countries in the world. It has like a, a vaccine rate of like 66%. The other 44% that is not vaccinated are like kids that are below a certain age and then people who are just, they don't want to get it. Got it. Um, and of that giant, they have, again, the most vaccinated population in the world, they did the study in there and they found that groups of children who had not experienced any kind of symptom before taking the vaccine now were experiencing heart attacks. They mm. were experiencing uh, droopiness of their face. Like what jo- I think Justin Bieber actually is, oh, seriously? is experiencing that. Oh my god! And they're not confirming or denying if it's from the vaccine or not. Okay. But these kids were experiencing that and they had not reported anything before that. And it's, it's interesting because that's a risk that you can take as a person. If I, okay. if, if, if you and me are looking at the vaccine and you look at it and say, you know what, I understand these risks, I'm uh-huh. willing to take on those risks yeah. to protect myself and the people around me or just for my own health, which is okay. what a lot of people say. Okay. I can also look at that with my medical autonomy and say, you know what, 
that scares me. I don't want to take on those risks. And so I made it known in the book to say that when you are forcing people to take on a risk that they don't have the ability to assess for themselves in their own medical uh, like, like choice, okay. that, that's when it becomes authoritarian. Okay. And then the second part of that was I, I said it's noted that it was put into place on November of 2021, but it wasn't going to, into effect for two more months. And it was done in the name of a public health emergency. Okay. So the the analogy that I gave was if your house is on fire and then you get a call from the, the fire department that says, Tim, your house is on fire, but don't get out now. Get out in two months. That's when we'll come start to put out the fire. You're going to okay. either think one of two things. <laughs> either I'm the most incompetent fireman on the planet okay. or more rationally, there's not really a fire. That's That's a really interesting comparison and so is that part of the reason the supreme court knocked this whole thing down uh, that know, if it, like if this is a big emergency then why aren't we jumping on this in the next 20 seconds instead of the next two months exactly it's like why is this not being done now why is it being done in two months if it if it really is done for people's health why is it not being done now well, why why did the supreme court knock this down i didn't read the full concurrence i didn't really read a whole lot of that i read the dissent more so because I wanted to see what they had to say. And so the idea was that basically everything that I said, which is that you can't force someone to take on a risk Mm. that they don't have the ability to assess Okay, so the Supreme Court acknowledged that the vaccine is a risk. I mean, everybody's body is different. Everybody's body reacts differently. Going to to react differently. Yeah, and that's what they said is you can't do a blanket thing. You can't make people take it because conceivably it's a risk for that person yeah i mean in 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 the in the 50s and 60s smallpox was a thing yes but there was no forced fact they had a for some some areas of the united states it was close to 30 percent mortality rate in some third world countries it was over 50 percent mortality rate that's literally 350,000 times more deadly than either covid or influenza a or b and there was still no vaccination mandate for that i mean it was it was in your interest to do it because if you got it you'd probably die but there was no forced vaccination mandate for that. And wow. there's no vaccination mandate forced for any kind of, I mean, I cited in the book, but there's no mandates for influenza A or B mm. or smallpox. Okay. Okay. And to this day, there's no... Actually, I don't know if small... I'm pretty sure smallpox may be mandated now that okay. I think about it. That one I just don't know. Yeah. I, I don't even know. Yeah. But I cite that in the book as like, look, if there's not a vaccination mandate for smallpox at a 30% mortality rate. Why is there one for one that's less than half of a percent of a mortality rate? And of those people who die, unfortunately, they all have pre-existing conditions and in, in, in other health Okay. You know, how problems. far, okay, if, if we're going to talk along medical lines, how far, I, I honestly don't know, does right to privacy extend? Uh, if there were some disease out there that had, I don't know, say a 75% mortality rate, mm-hmm. like you get it, uh, if four people get it, three people are going to pass away. That's just the facts. I mean, if, if that were the case, can the country mandata- mandate that everybody take a drug that's going to mitigate? So this is where I am, like I say, I'm very black and white about the issue because I don't think the government has the ability and should never have the ability okay. to tell me what I can do with my body. Okay. I don't care if it's vaccines. I don't care if it's my diet. You know, they can't institute a mandate to make everybody 50 pounds less heavy than that they are right now. Okay. That would be extremely authoritarian. I don't think they have the ability to do any of that. Okay. Um, like there was, there was an example where in, there was a court case in the, um, 
1800s called Buck v. Bell. Do you okay. know about that case? No, 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 no. Please go ahead. It was Was horrible. this in the book? Did yeah. I just I read it, but it's been three it's been two, three weeks, something like that. Yeah. It's uh so Buck v. Bell was I think eighteen seventy, something okay. like that. Okay. Okay. So pretty much it, it's it's up there with one of the worst Supreme Court decisions in history next oh. to Dred Scott just being horrible and, and Okay. Decisions that make the Supreme Court look good. Horrible. Oh, just yeah. kidding. Yeah, <laughs> bad. Yeah. Okay. And uh, it, it talks about how there was a lady who was just considered to be an imbecile, is what they call oh, her. Oh, okay. And so they they force forcefully sterilized her to not have children because they set the kid to have kids. Because I remember you writing yeah. about this now. Keep and, keep going. I don't want to. I don't want to try to tell the story. But oh my gosh, what this justice said is just heartbreaking. Three generations of imbeciles is enough. Was yeah. his exact concurring opinion, and, and that was his horrible. line justifying why we should go ahead and sterilize. Yeah, you know, you, because hey, we've already had three generations of imbeciles. That's enough. Mm-hmm. And it's it's extremely again like i'm not one to do the slippery slope right fallacy but i really it's not a fallacy to say that one thing can lead to another when you've seen one thing lead to another in the right. past i honestly i never understood why slippery slope is a fallacy because isn't another word for slippery slope trend something like that yeah yeah i mean if we're moving in this direction in the first place then i guess i would call that a trend um, so, yeah, and it might not be a trend that I like. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so in this case, um, so it was basically forced sterilizations of people with lower IQs. And they were justifying this under the law as in, hey, this is in society's best interest. If we could just not have less intelligent people breed, well, then it follows that we're going to have people of average and high IQs breed, Mm -hmm. and society is just going to simply be better off because all of the people we approve of are breeding and all of the people we don't approve of are not breeding. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then then we wind up with, you know, eugenics, which is ugly. Um, Yeah, just one of the ugliest things in history. I agree. Essentially. It's, it's, and again, that's why I say that to give that kind of power to anybody, whether okay. it be a government or it be someone else, it doesn't matter. You have to make your own decisions for yourself. And okay. that's that's a big part of what I believe is that I don't think that anybody has the ability to make decisions for my own personal well-being. Okay. It's kind of like the idea. It's like if your parents want you to go be a doctor and you really just want to like write books, go write books. Like right. you can't let anybody else control your life and your decisions. And Again, like I think that's one of the most important chapters of the book because it's it's the most recent. Well, like, and the stories were just so interesting and vivid too. That's why I think people should buy this book. <laughs> yeah, I, I do. mean, I I I have been giving away free copies to people okay. who have helped advertise for me because I'm like, oh. look, it it's good that I'm making money off this book, but at the same time, like I want this message to be out yeah. there. I want people to know. This is what you can do. This is these are the rights you have. Don't let people tread on you. Okay, no so, pun intended. Actually, so, so let me see if I can tie this into the Constitution or ask you to tie this in. So, okay, so you're you're basically saying that the Constitution, um, in its own indirect way, I guess in this case, gives us a right to privacy, and uh, your examples have been medical 
medical examples. Mm-hmm. Um, so which amendments specifically or which passages of the Constitution give us this right to privacy? So specifically, that would be the 14th Amendment. 14th Amendment. 14th Amendment, yeah. Okay. And, and a little bit of the 4th. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, does it apply to things outside the medical field? I'm sure it does. Yeah. Does I, anything just jump to mind? Yeah, like online privacy is another okay. one. Like having your having your uh, like your information sold to companies. That's oh. a big one. That's why like having a VPN is really good. Okay. So companies can't you know di- directly target ads to your liking. Okay. How do we feel about I don't know various social media platforms just capturing all of our data and then using I guess their software to understand us better than we understand ourselves. I don't think we fully know the, the the consequences of that yet. Okay. So that's why I say I don't know because I feel like there's more to it than just directly targeting ads. I feel like when you are giving that much of your own information and not allowing – and allowing a company to, like, know so much about you, I feel like that's just – a breach of privacy because you have a right to have some things in your life private. You know, if you're on Instagram and you're, you know, scrolling through and you, you like a picture of, I don't know, like a plant pot or something. And then uh-huh. they start targeting you with plant pots. I mean, as little as that may seem, I feel like that's a little bit creepy that the it's system. It's a little creepy that yeah. they know all this. Yeah. I, I find it good from my age to look at people your age and realize that people your age are a little bit nervous about this. Uh, the reason I think it's good is because, okay, at my age, I'm just thinking about places like East Germany during the Cold War, but gosh, Germany was this way during the Nazis as well. Uh, and then other countries did this too. They had sacred police whose job was to basically track the behavior of all of their citizens. After East Germany collapsed, the Stasi Museum was opened up. That was their secret police. And they had files on every citizen that were, you know, like an inch thick, two inches thick. And and there were all kinds of like ordinary people mm. in East Germany who had never, ever broken the law in their life. And mm. they thought, well, they're not going to have a file on me because I haven't done anything interesting. I don't even have a speeding ticket. And then it would turn out that, oh my goodness, there's a three inch file. And, and so they would let people read their files, maybe take their files, et cetera. Because, you know, East Germany didn't mm. exist anymore. Mm-hmm. So then who do these files belong to? Maybe they belong to the people that that they're about. And, and people were just shocked. Okay, there were people following me around in cars and who were writing down my daily routine and who were trying to figure out every last little thing about my life. Hmm. Well, once all this information started to come out in the early 90s and then people realized that this is what all these secret polices were doing – in these various communist societies, the rest of the world was just absolutely horrified by this. Like mm-hmm. Western nations, Britain, France, Spain, Italy, the United States, Canada, Australia, Japan, etc., were just absolutely horrified that governments were collecting thick files of information, trying to figure out everybody's likes and preferences. And then also, too, hey, you know, if we compare one 20 or one year old to the rest of the 21 year olds, we can sort of predict which types of people are going to commit which types of crime. Scary. Uh, yeah, it was just terrifying that they were following people around. And then here in our time, people are just voluntarily handing over bushels and bushels of information to various social media platforms to the point where 
yeah, they can absolutely predict, okay, somebody from your zip code of your age bracket with your driving record, they probably know how you vote and whether or not you like, you know, 1990s rap music or country music or both. Mm -hmm. You know, they can predict so many things about you with their algorithms just by comparing and contrasting with a thousand other people who are in a somewhat similar condition. You know, it's funny you say that because I, I was doing some legal research for my law firm a few months ago. Okay. And it, there was a case going to trial and they were doing a jury pool. And when you look at a jury pool, you have to know certain things about like, you know, what the people's religion are. Like, like if you know, what just their whole personal like profile. And I remember an attorney came to me and said, hey, here's a list of 150 people. I need you to make a list of as much information on these people that you can get because we want to target certain people to be on this jury to get the best verdict. And I was like, okay. Yep. So I'm just in my office and I Google, I type in the first name of the person. And I, after going to the second or third page of Google, I found an entire profile on the person who, and, and this was not using any special software. This was just Googling the person's name. Yes. And it's scary how much it was like, oh, this person lives in this area. Here's his address. Here's his uh, political party. Here's his religion. Here's his church. Oh my here's gosh. what he looks like. Here's, here's his wife. Here's his kids' names. And I'm like... He's got a little brown fluffy dog. Yeah, that was it too. It was like he has three dogs named Snuffy. And his, <laughs> I, I was like, this is really weird. Yeah. And I it's, remember it's saying creepy. It. Gosh. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. Back in the 90s, they passed stalker laws, you know, so that uh, I guess ex-boyfriends and girlfriends wouldn't make their former beloved's life hell. Mm -hmm. They had stalker laws. Now, I guess people just have all this information online. That's scary. Yeah. That's very scary. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it creates modern-day Ted Bundys, honestly. Yeah. Like I just, yeah, you just wonder kind of like where where this whole thing can possibly go. Somebody has kind of pointed out with things like Google is that, um, okay, we think it's a search engine, but it is simultaneously searching us. Wow. That's kind of scary. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense, though. I mean, yeah. it's an AI. A lot of what Google is now is just an AI. So yep. it's like it's it's its goal with, an, with its algorithms to find out as much information about its people as it can. So I guess that makes kind of sense. Long, thick files on scary. all of us. That's yeah. scary. Well, maybe maybe your generation combined with the millennials and the Xers will figure out a way to put this thing back in the box. You know? Who knows? Uh, I'm a little bit pessimistic about my generation. <laughs> but... <laughs> Gen Gen Zs, I, technically I'm millennial, but okay. I, I follow more follow more in the Gen Z pile. I, I don't really have a whole lot of hopes. <laughs> I'm gonna be honest. I I'm honesty is the best policy. I think there are a lot of people who are great, and there are a lot of people who are just like you go on TikTok for five minutes and you scroll through the any the popular page and you'll see what I'm talking about. I I find uh, okay. I've just done this experiment where I I deactivated. Most of my social media uh, by November of last year, so I guess it's been about that. seven or eight months, something like this. And and what I find is that this forces me to interact with people in person all the time. Hmm. And uh, and my my view of the human race has just shot up enormously. Mm -hmm. I, I just always was kind of like optimistic about people, but but man, it's just been on a rocket to the moon because when you interact with people individually, one on one. You just walk away with incredible admiration for people um, and or incredible empathy for Interesting. people. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and I, I just feel like, hey, if you get online, it's just so easy to find that person who aggravates you 
And I, I guess, I don't know, I've been reading a little psychology, and, and that's actually sometimes it's people's motives for getting online, is mm. that anger, the emotion of anger, shares really easily. And unfortunately, it gives people an adrenaline charge. And adrenaline is a very fun drug. Mm-hmm. You know, there's yeah. one psychologist, Andrew Huberman, who said, mm-hmm. it's my favorite drug. Adrenaline is my favorite drug. Yep. I'm thinking, yeah, caffeine, <laughs> adrenaline, you know, these yeah. sound good to me. That's a good point. I, I forgot about Andrew Huberman. I yeah. love his works. Yeah, he's great. Yeah. He's great. So so that's, I think, maybe the problem is, is that uh, every generation is going to look worse if you just look at what they are doing online. I feel like, you know, I especially. My girlfriend and I gave up for Lent this year, social media. Okay. And then every Sunday, we, we're, we've we been okay about it the last yeah. few weeks, yeah, yeah, yeah. but we try to do social media-free Sundays. Okay. Ideally, it would be, yeah, like you know social media at all because we both agree social media is kind of bad. I, I've kind of unfollowed a lot of people on social media. I only have people that I'm very close to, and I can count on like two hands, the amount okay. of people. Most of them are just sports pages and meme accounts. Okay. And I, I've, <clears throat> excuse me, I've got off Twitter. I have Facebook, but I never get on Facebook. So I don't use it. Um, so Instagram is the one that's really like big. And I remember finishing, like when, when Lent started, I remember being like, oh my gosh, I am, I'm freaking out. I need to be on my phone. I need to scroll. And then like about halfway through and towards the end, I'm like, I really don't feel the need to like get back on here. Mm. I have it again. But I, since then, have, like, been reading so much more and, like, interacting with people so much more that it's almost like I broke out of prison for, like, wow. two months. And what, now, Yeah, what does that do for your happiness to just interact more in person? I, well, I mean, I feel like humans are – I know humans are social animals. And so yeah. when you interact with people around you, you know, people have done experiments where they – deprive people of conversations for days, only like two or three days, and they end up going, they have, they have brain damage. I because bet. they Yeah, they can't talk to people, and they can't converse with people. And it's, I, I remember. Rough. It's got to be awful. Yeah. I, I remember when I first started working at my law firm. It was during a very busy time of the law firm. Okay. Summer of 21. And all the attorneys were really busy. There was no one my age there. And I was just in my office doing work for six or seven hours a day and I I would come home and I was at the time studying for my LSAT and taking summer classes and I was like, man, I'm just alone all the time. And I remember seeing my girlfriend for the first time in about a week and I was like, you have no idea how much just this mm. conversation means to me. Like, this is like a drug. Did you that, propose right on the spot? Because yeah, you were like, <laughs> you know, yeah. I haven't seen a human in so long. Yeah, it was, it was, there was a video on YouTube where a guy went three days and he came out and was like, Hi, it's so nice to see you. And he was just not himself, and he was just like... Okay, you want to hear an interesting story along these lines. I read a book uh, by a guy who was uh, in a prison camp in solitary confinement in Vietnam. So Mm. he's a captured American soldier. The North Vietnamese put him in a prison camp. Mm. And so then there were some other Americans that were also in the prison camp, and uh, they would just get put in solitary confinement literally for six months. Hmm. So you're in this this thing, and uh, and they would communicate with the guy on the other side of the wall basically like by banging a rock against the wall. And so Gosh. they might know Morse code. They might not. They might just be hearing people bang rocks all day. Mm-hmm. Well, every six months or so, they would take them out and just kind of let them like face the other guy. And they said that people were just so starved for company that both guys would just be talking nonstop and not listening to the other guy. They would both be simultaneously just a 
torrent of words just gushing out of their mouths mm. just because they were so lonely and so desperate and just mm-hmm. wanted to communicate. And it was kind of funny in its own little weird way because they're not listening to the other guy. They're just yeah. like, talk, 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 because, yeah, it just we're not meant to be alone. It's, it's crazy. Yeah, that's a, that's a really cool story. Now, I, I want to tie this back into social media, then we'll go back to your book, and, um, and I think that's where we need to be. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, with social media, I've, heard, I've read psychologists who have said that social media does not fulfill us in the same way that in person or even over the phone does. And it gives you that false perception that it does. Yes, it's yeah. kind of like junk calories. It's empty calories. There's no nutrition to it. Uh, it gives people a false perception and just like you could eat nothing but Doritos for like the next three days and you might not be hungry because you're filling up, mm-hmm. but it's not doing a thing for you. And in fact, just psychologically, it's probably causing you damage because you need social interaction and yet you're still really alone. You're mm-hmm. still just looking at a screen. So I now I want to say the most useful thing I possibly can about social media and it's this. Um, I'm actually back on Twitter and Instagram, hmm. but what I'm doing is having rules for myself, which I, I tried to do before. And so it's good to basically establish rules for yourself, things along the lines of, hey, I only use Instagram to follow maybe artists, or I only mm-hmm. use it to follow people on a particular diet that I'm on. Mm-hmm. That's what some people do. Or they say, I'm only going to follow 30 of my friends, but not 31. And then they might also set a time limit. They might say, I'm allowed to look at Instagram only in the evenings from 7 until 7.30. Mm -hmm. Something along those lines. So in other words, what's my purpose for having this app? And uh, how long am I allowed to be on it? Mm -hmm. Um, Just a few rules like that. And then you could probably unleash what's actually good about the app and what's good about the the people who are on it. And I think you can do this with, with any app. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's, that's right. And myself included, it's very hard to set those limits because when you have something that you've done for almost 10 years... Oh, for sure. It's so hard. I, like I said, I remember I had the app still on my phone at the beginning of Lent, and I would just open it up and start scrolling, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't do this. And so I had to delete the apps off my phone. And originally I was like, oh, I'll just delete... Um, Instagram and I'll just leave Snapchat and then I'll leave Facebook or whatever it was. Uh-huh. And then it got to the point where I was like, I have to delete all of these because I, it, it's, it's just scrolling. Okay. It's not just social media. I was like, it's cause I saw this thing that was, there was a teacher and he's just a Jordan Peterson. Okay. He's like, how many of you think you waste time during the day? And about half of them raised their hands. But the distinction he made was, I never told you what wasting time is. You define that in your own terms. And so he asked them, what do you define as wasting time? Scrolling. That was the number one answer. Mm. And so what I've come to the conclusion of what you're saying is like setting those limits as hard as it is. And I still struggle with those limits. Yeah. I'm not perfect at all. Yeah. Whereas, I think write them down on a sheet of paper. Mm-hmm. And and just a, another limit that I think is good is pick a time of day. I, I have done this all the time where just I'm not going to look at social media until, say, 6 p.m. Interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a good one, too, because then if I fall apart, say, after 6 p.m., I, and I haven't, but let's just say that I do, and I'm on social media for, I don't know, two hours or something, mm-hmm. well, at least I had a very good day up until 6 p.m. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. I, I think I may try that then because that's that sounds like a good idea because I feel like I'm so busy at work during the okay. day as well. Like, I just don't... You know, when you got rid time. of it, you wrote a whole book. That's true. That's true. I That's that's when I worked on my book the most was during the spring break when I was... Uh, or before spring break and after spring break. Um, 
was during that. And then recently, uh, like right before the end of the school year, I was just like, oh, I'm working more. I have more time at night. I have more time during the day. Why don't I just work on this as much? And so I was able to finish it a lot sooner than I thought I was going to. It's amazing. Yeah, thank you. And you've read a ton. I think a total of about 38 books went into this one book. That's amazing. Yeah, it is. It does have a nice bibliography. It really does. Thank you. I appreciate that. Okay. Well, let's get to your apocalyptic warning at Mm -hmm. the end of the book. So I, I saw this thing... In 1984. It was a preface to 1984 where it said that the book was not just a novel. It was a warning. Yes. And I took that and I said, I want to do that with my conclusion. I want it to be a warning. Okay. So I wrote the title of the the conclusion is, like I said, the Kansas state motto, Ad Astra Per Aspera, which is to the stars through our difficulties. Because I think that the main message of the book, if, if anybody was to take only one message away from the book, is that our rights are only as good as the structures and processes that protect them and uphold them. Okay. So that means that if you have only one person who gets their rights taken away from them, hmm. everybody's rights are now on the table, to, on the chopping block to be taken away. Okay. It's like if you take away due process, even for someone as horrible as Ted Bundy, or okay. if you, you take away, you know, the right to you know, not be coerced into committing a crime or you take away someone's gun rights or their right to freedom of speech. That means that there is no limit on anybody else whose rights can be taken away because in in actuality, everybody in America is equal. So if, if one person's rights are taken away, that means, like I said, your rights can be taken away. Okay. And my message to everybody who reads the book at the end of the book was that I don't know what direction the country is going. I wish I could say that the government is going to stop trying to tread on people's rights, but that's obviously not going to happen, especially with everything that's happened in the past, I want to say, six or seven months. Okay. And it's unfortunate, but it's the, it's the, it's the true reality. And the sooner we can come to grasp that we now have to fight for these rights, the sooner that we can, I guess not sooner, but the, the more progress we're going to make to preserve them. And so there's a quote on the back of the book and in the book that says, it's by Edmund Burke, that says, the only uh, necessary quality for the triumph of evil is for good men to stand by idly and do nothing. And it's like, okay, well, what does that mean? Okay, well, that means that, you know, you can always say, well, someone else will fight for it. You know, the the idea that, oh, well, someone else will be the good Samaritan. Someone else will stand up and fight for my rights. It's like, no, no, you have to be that person to do that because, Things get to terrible places one tiny step at a time. Yes. It's not like people just woke up one day in the Soviet Union and said, oh, my gosh, you know, this country is a nightmare. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It was incremental. Yeah. I I said that there was a quote in there where it's like it's by Jordan Peterson again where he says, if I'm I'm encroaching upon you and I'm going to be sophisticated about it, I'm going to encroach upon you one tiny millimeter at a time up until the point that you protest and then I'm going to wait. And I'm going to be patient. And then I'm going to start to do it again. And then you're going to stop. And I'm going to say, okay. And that process is going to repeat until you're 15, 20 miles down the road. And you look back and say, how did I get here? It's like tiny things at a time. And so if you are going to allow the government to say, well, it's a vaccine for less than 1%. Come on, just take it. Come on. It's just one mandate. Okay. Okay. Let's give them the benefit of the doubt. Let's say it was, okay, 10 years down the line hey, you're not allowed to have kids anymore because we say that it's bad for the environment, so you're only allowed to have one kid 
or we're sterilizing you because you had mental illness in your family. That's where this is going down. That's not, I, I, I don't want to say apocalyptic. I want to say prophetical. Okay. Of what, I'm, I'm not a prophet, obviously. <laughs> but that's the road that we're heading down. If we keep letting the government and not just the government, but other people around us dictate what we can and cannot do and, yeah. and, and take away. If we what surrender we can do. one right, why don't we surrender two? If we surrender two rights, why don't we surrender four? Yeah. Then pretty soon it's eight, then it's 20, and then it's 50, and then it's all of them. Did you hear about what Joe Biden recently said about no amendment to the Constitution is absolute? Yes. It's like, okay, let's get rid of income tax then. <laughs> you know, let's get, rid of, let's get rid of all these things. It's like, okay. It's, it's crazy, but like— If I were in Congress, I would say the one about— the limits on our raises, well, that one's not absolute. <laughs> yeah, because you're, yeah, there you go. You're, or the one about term limits. That one's definitely absolute because you don't want term limits. I guess there's no term limits. Yeah, there's in no term limits. Uh, I think uh, term limits for president, I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. That's the only one. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I just, that's, that's my main takeaway, or I hope people get is the main takeaway of the book is that, you know, these structures and processes give you, not give you, but like they allow you to, I want I to say be, exercise them. Be, yeah, exercise your rights and to be free. Mm-hmm. And you, again, you, you don't have these rights given to you by your government. They pre-exist your government. Yeah. The government's yeah. there to protect them and to ensure that they are upheld to the highest quality. And, you know, the Supreme Court is often cited as like the weakest branch of government. I arguably think that's the strongest branch. Why, why do you think that? Well, there's a lot of reasons. I mean, for over a hundred years, no, over almost a hundred years of our nation's history, Jim Crow laws were in effect because okay. of Dred Scott v. Sanford. Okay. And I, that wasn't overturned until, yeah, at the, at the end of the civil rights movement with the civil rights act. Yes. And it's horrible to think that for a hundred years, people, African-Americans were not given their God-given rights. And it's like, that's what Martin Luther King's Jr.'s main message was. He's like, not I'm going to kneel for the flag, but in the name of the flag and what it stands for, you need to uphold these values for me because I am no different than you. That was a great message that he sent. And I guess the point that I'm trying to get at here is that these have to be actively fought for. You can't just stand by idly and do nothing. And it's like, you don't have to go out and protest every single day. You can donate money to the causes. You can, you can, read and educate yourself and you can get involved in local government. You can, you can educate yourself and vote in a more educated manner. There's a lot of ways you can do it. And I think all pitching my book aside, I think uh-huh. this is seriously one of the most important books to read. Yeah. With this Look, kind of I'll pitch the book. Like I said, it was really a fun read. Uh, it, it brings up these incredibly important topics to all of us. And you're just a great storyteller. Thank you. You honestly are. Thank you. Okay. So I guess maybe last two questions. Is there anything we should have talked about that we did not? I think we're good. Okay. Yeah, talked about everything. Reed, this has just been a, just a ridiculously fun delight, and I and I really hope that we can keep doing this. <laughs> um, my very last question is: is I kind of want you to picture yourself maybe ten years from now. Mm-hmm. So you're a lawyer. Maybe you're married. Maybe you have a couple of kids. What type of lawyer are you? What type of cases do you want to be taking? Um, what type of an impact do you want to have? So. I eventually want to go into the civil side of law, like a litigator. I want to be either a plaintiff's attorney or a defense attorney. Um, 
the law firm that I currently work at has really inspired me to like be in that kind of field because it's to me it's very simple to understand. The processes are very straightforward. You know, criminal law is the same way, but I just feel like there's more impact to be made in civil law. Mm, okay. And I eventually want to run for office in some capacity, whether it be local, state, okay. federal, I don't really know yet. But I at that point I hope that I've gotten my foot in the door at least with either at least working on campaigns or running and putting my name out there and really starting to, cause I, I finished yeah. my personal statement for law school and you know, I just have seen so many instances where that's partly why I wrote the book too, of people who have just been, had their rights taken away and, and not been able to fight for themselves. And so it's like, I want to be that change that people can look and say, yeah, Reed, Reed's going to be the one to help me. Like he's, he's the one who can, you know, stand up for me when no one else will. Awesome. So, yeah. Awesome. I think you'll do an excellent job at thank that. You. I really do believe that. Reed, thank you. thank you again so much. This was absolutely fantastic. Thank you. Let's do it again very, very soon.